1: Hi. Theory. theory. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Bosu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today, I am talking with Rebecca Falcoff about hoarding. Rebecca, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm Rebecca
0: Falcoff. I teach in the Department of Italian Studies at New York University. And my book, Possessed, A Cultural History of Hoarding, is coming out with Cornell
1: University Press in April of 21. So you are exactly the right person to talk to about hoarding.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Awesome. So let me ask you our first question. What the heck is hoarding?
0: Hoarding is, I'm going to say what is a hoard and then I'll say what hoarding is. A hoard is an aesthetic object that is the result of a seeding of authorial intention to encounters with chance, or is an aesthetic object that verifies the diagnosis of a hoard Um, Because hoarding is unique among the disorders in the DSM-5 in that it's the only disorder that requires the presence of a physical object um, in order to have a diagnosis. The hoard is also an aesthetic object that is the result of clashing perspectives about the meaning and value of material objects. That means to some extent we could say that hoarding discourse is Fetish discourse, insofar as it is produced by clashing perspectives about the meaning and value of objects. And like fetish discourse, hoarding discourse is at the intersections of anthropology, psychology, and economics. And not just at the intersections, but some of the work that hoarding discourse does is to solidify those intersections. I mean, hoarding is hard because it's everything. It's hard to write a book about hoarding because it's, you know, everything you start to think hoarding is, it becomes something else because it's really everything. It's also premised on the idea that value changes over time. Hoarding has an interesting relationship to credit and debt, and it's sort of a bad investment of space against time. A good a good investment of space against time would eventually pay off. Sometimes hoards become investments. So a hoard is a pretty unstable object.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: Hoarding has to have clashing perspectives about value, except that those clashing perspectives about value may be all within the person hoarding. So it could be that, you know, you love everything when you acquire it and then suddenly you're like, oh my God, what's happening?
1: I can't move. (laughs) (laughs) well so it seems like actually the right point for me to ask my second question when you're like oh my god i can't move so how do i use hoarding
0: um well don't don't hoard but also when you think about keeping or discarding an object think about everything that that means in terms of planned obsolescence the persistence of objects after they happen to be jettisoned, the value or beauty, you know, that's what you can do with hoarding. Don't don't go like Marie Kondo. But let's say you can use hoarding as a theoretical tool for looking at the ways that economics and psychology or discourses of political economy and psychic economies intersect.
1: Yeah, so maybe rather than using it as an investment strategy. <laughs> yeah, don't use um... <laughs> <is> it. <laughs> You should yeah use it yeah. as a way of critiquing investment strategies, or right, something. but you
0: never know if you use it as an investment strategy, it might eventually pay off, but then it would then you wouldn't have been hoarding all along. you would have been investing, although then I mean this is the same problem you get into with like fetish discourses is that 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 presumes that there is an objective measure of the value
1: of things. Yeah. So, well, that, and maybe also suggests that the, one of the ways you use hoarding is to deconstruct this idea of the fetish that we have inherited from psychoanalytic theory or to poke at it a little bit. To
0: poke at it. Yeah. The fetish occupies this outsized place in 20th century theory and hoarding does all the same things, but there's also the, there's a clash in perspectives about the value of an object. And then there's also the clash in perspectives about the overwhelming mass of objects.
1: Yeah. It's not just about the individual object but about what happens with all of the objects together. Whereas like fetish discourse we often imagine is about individual totems right. or individual commodities or individual phallic mothers. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: There's a point in um, Agamben's Stanzé, though, where he talks about how the fact that the fetish is a substitution, it can never truly be satisfying, is why the fetishes tends to accumulate fetishes. So there's already the kind of specter of hoarding in the idea of the fetish. But the plurality of things in a hoard means that this is a this is a story that unfolds over time and is also a story about how relationships to things change as you grow old and weak, and everything that comes with that and, and it becomes much more dangerous to live in a cluttered space. As a graduate student, I moved a lot and then, and then like if you don't move periodically, you accumulate stuff all the time. And unless you make a really concerted effort to get rid of stuff, We could all
1: be stuck there. Yeah, it's true. So let me ask you this crazy last question, which is how will hoarding save the world?
0: I think that we can recognize in hoarding the logics of late capitalism and the material landscape of consumerism and the economic strategy of planned obsolescence. And I had a lot of trouble trying to fight off this tendency to kind of see something heroic in hoarding insofar as it seems to be a a stance against planned obsolescence and ecological catastrophe. And even though a lot of the times, the way in which the hoarder attempts to counter the waste in, in any way that we define waste is by taking the whole problem upon him or herself instead of by trying to think collective solutions. So it's the logic of late capitalism not only in the that there's this proliferation of stuff and cheap commodities, but it's also the logic of liberalism because it's about the assumption that an individual can take on problems that need to be addressed collectively.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that points us back to the beginning and the sort of economic theories of hoarding that you mentioned, that hoarding is not just the accumulation of stuff, but the accumulation of wealth in nations and of individuals acting as a check on the free market.
0: Yeah. And it starts to be used in political economy in the 18th century and is is about grain and bullion and representative monies. It's not about, I mean, this is very different what we have today with the idea of hoarding as a pathology relating to like junk or too many commodities, but often it's not new commodities, it's countering waste by the idea of like, reuse or misuse that then doesn't get realized.
1: Yeah, there's something interesting there, too, about the like, the fact that it doesn't get realized.
0: I mean, I think there's like a messianic logic to it that you don't want to foreclose the possibility of redeeming an object. I mean, it almost becomes, I mean, there's always something moral in discourses of waste, but it becomes a kind of, moral stance about not wanting to foreclose any potential in that there's also a little bit of disavowal of death because you imagine you might use something someday but even without death it's simply this kind of absolute commitment to the value of material such that if there is use and value to be excavated from something still you
1: couldn't possibly throw it away yeah
0: And also, like, we know throwing something away doesn't mean it disappears or stops existing.
1: Yeah. So, like, one of the ways that hoarding can save the world is it can make us think critically about throwing things away.
0: Yeah. And our strategies to, I mean, because we don't want to just hoard and say that's the way we should be addressing waste because it's not true. Hoarding doesn't start in the 21st century when you see this proliferation of you know, television series about hoarding, documentary films, there's a lot of attention on hoarding in the first two decades of the 21st century. And I think that has to do with ideas about materiality and digital technology is changing, and also about deregulation and the collapse of financial products. So that there's, there's a sense that like, value is moving further and further and further away from the material, because when you buy like corn futures, it has nothing to do with corn. It's, or it's bundled and retraded. And so the same kind of, alienation from materiality is happening there
1: wow wow you totally made me just think about the housing crisis in a in a new way
0: yeah a Padurai has a really good essay about it and about like the house as being this kind of symbol of material well-being and yet a house is not a, a house is a bundle of numbers that are circulated and exchanged and it has nothing to do with the physical house
1: yeah, it's pretty great like symbolically.
0: And and then you have these people like in their houses or apartments full of of junk. Yeah, yeah, full of
1: stuff, right? And it's as if you're trying to like stuff the symbol with meaning because the meaning has been so evacuated from it in the yeah. Yeah. Cool. So let us um let us say farewell to our listeners. Farewell. Thank you, Rebecca, for coming and speaking to us about hoarding. It's been super thank awesome. You. Thank you, Kimberly. This was fun. And thank you for listening to High Theory. Just a little bit of an addendum to this episode. If you are in the United States right now, early voting has begun. And if you are in New York, this is the first time in the history of New York that early voting is happening. And it will continue until November 1st. So please grab your ID and head on to the polling booth with, of course, maintaining social distance and wearing a mask. And if you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music and Kim Adams edits our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.